0: Hello there and welcome to the Players Voice, a podcast brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. My name is Alan O'Mara, a former Cavan goalkeeper now working as a performance and well-being consultant. During this series, I'm going to take you inside the minds of some of Ireland's most inspiring inter-county GA players as we talk about life on and off the field. I'm delighted to be joined this week by Louise Galvin a trailblazer who has played both international basketball and rugby for Ireland, as well as intercounty football with her native Kerry. We discuss the many highs and important life lessons she's learned on her unique journey. She also shares the difficulties that have stemmed from inequality or lack of resources, including Ireland's disappointing home performance in the 2017 Rugby World Cup. Louise offers fascinating insights into imposter syndrome, growth mindset, leadership, and the importance of integration in the GAA. This episode was recorded just as Louise began maternity leave, so we talked about how pregnancy challenges athletes both physically and mentally. This is the first time for as long as she can remember that Louise hasn't been an active member of a team, but she hopes to be back on a court or field soon. This podcast is brought to you as part of Bio360, a GPA programme that empowers intercounty players across four key areas: life skills, well-being dual career and transitions please go to bio 360gaelicplayerscom to learn more but for now please sit back relax and enjoy the player's voice with louise galvin Louise, first of all, just thanks a mil for joining us on the Players Voice podcast. Absolutely delighted to have you here. I was just going to start by jumping all the way back to the beginning. And I think I read you grew up on a farm in North Kerry. And I was just going to throw a soft question to you in regards to how is that as an area to grow up in? And, and what, what are your memories of, of your childhood there?
1: Um, Yeah, it was a great area. Um, I suppose it's exactly what you said, like a very rural area. Football and farming were kind of still are probably the two main um religions there in, in North Kerry, um, grew up in a fairly big family, there were six of us and um, my older sisters actually, I had three older sisters, they all went to boarding school so in back in Dingle and um, I kind of found myself just with mum and dad who I was out farming and two brothers who were again out on the farm were playing football so I was definitely very much um, a tomboy and once I came home from school it was just change of clothes, play a bit of football, I was getting big into basketball as well at that stage. So we had a bit of a rickety old hoop hanging off the turf shed. So I just feel like I was always either kicking a ball or throwing a basketball um, or, you know, ch- you know, moving cattle or doing something like that. It was kind of very much outside-based um, rather than, or if I wasn't in school. Um, and then, like, I really like school and stuff as well. So when I look back now, it seems quite sheltered. It wasn't many T V channels on the house, like there wasn't even things like we didn't really have PlayStations or pool tables or anything like that, um, which were considered quite cool at the time. Um, but definitely was pretty happy with what I did have. Um and yeah, I just remember I always just wanted to go home and, and get out, get outside in the fresh air and do something with a ball.
0: Yeah, and that so that kind of that desire to be outside then mixes with sport at quite a, like at quite an early age. Was there a was was there a particular sport either or I know you mentioned football there and basketball? Was there one you kind of had a stronger draw for first that kind of lured you in? Did they come together? How was that kind of relationship or dynamic?
1: I think going up there was this like the strong sense of, you know, when your farm carry that football is kind of everything to be honest. But then it was very male dominated and there wasn't a lot of, I suppose, female role models to look up to. Um, and then the, the female sport in my area or in my school essentially really was basketball. So that's kind of how they worked out. Like football was kind of everything. But then if you're a girl, basketball was kind of the main option. So I used to play. There wasn't even a ladies team or a girls team when I was growing up. But I used to play with the boys up until under 14. Um, whereas then when you went to school, there was a real strong basketball ethos, so that was kind of more where i played with girls i suppose um and through my teenage years it, definitely basketball would have taken over and then you kind of get um was the notion of trying to make regional teams and international teams um so that took over for a long time and I was only i actually stopped playing football from 14 to 21 because we didn't have any ladies club anywhere kind of close distance and i was, was too old to play for the boys And the school didn't have a team either. It was very kind of basketball dominated. And I even remember going to college in UL and really wanting to go back playing football again. Um, But kind of had this fear that I wouldn't be good anymore, even though I would have been fairly strong even just playing with the boys growing up. And I would have made county teams kind of under 12, under 14, that based purely from playing football with boys. Um, But I was kind of on international squads and National League squads of basketball, so I felt that that was enough probably to keep me going. But definitely, there was it's a regret because there's a I just didn't try because I thought I wouldn't be good enough, and that's probably something that changed in me certainly as I progressed through my 20s.
0: And was that the fear of that not being good enough on the football side of Louise? Was that kind of married the fact that you'd started to develop and as you said like climb the ranks of basketball so you already were doing one thing that like you are succeeding at we're good at in terms of your confidence or ego and pride and all that kind of stuff that there was kind of did that heighten the fear to go kind of try even though it's not something new but to return to something that maybe you had been outside of your your skill set or your kind of schedule for a while
1: I think 100% yeah there was a comfort zone with I know where I'm at at this level I know I can make international squads and um, I, yeah, there's a comfort level with it. Whereas if I go back playing football, what if I'm not that good anymore? Um, And you just kind of get labeled as a bit of a basketballer. So I definitely think that kind of comfort zone and fear of failure together kind of held me back a little bit. Um, And then I was just lucky enough that the club was, got set up at home, so Fenwick would be where I'm from, but we set up, um, or not me particularly, but a ladies club was set up with our St. Um, Sillings, one of the adjacent clubs, so we're Fenwick St. Sillings, and we've worked our way up through the ranks We're now, a senior level in Kerry, from, you know, the original kind of junior C, and um, through them, I just went back playing purely nearly to keep fit in the summers for basketball in the winter, and that's how I got back in through, back in with Kerry then, and I remember girls being like, you have They'd never seen me at minor or under sixteens or anything. I just kind of came out of nowhere, um, yeah.
0: And so, like in terms of the basketball, that basketball phase, like that's obviously your first kind of experience of and access to like an elite sporting level in terms of trying striving for your best performance to be the best you can be you're obviously successful at it and climb all the way up to international squads what's like your memories of that time as like a young woman coming from you know as you said the north of Kerry to be in international squads where was the training done out of and what was that kind of experience like to be to be representing your country
1: yeah um it was cool I mean I actually remember my first squad that I tried to make was under 16 I didn't make it and being devastated and just not really taken very well um but And that was the first kind of made big setback, but I kind of turned it around then and finally realized that, well, this is what you're not good enough at at the moment, what you need to work harder at to make sure I made the under-18 squad. Um, but yeah, it was cool. Like, in fairness, there is, a, um, there is a strong basketball culture in Kerry, so it was something that I could see in my school. Like, I could see girls the years ahead of me, years below me, making an international squads. So.
0: Like, there was a pathway there?
1: there was a pathway and there was tangible and even like my head coach in the school would have coached not my international team but he would have coached like the senior women's international team um and even the like there would have been coaches from Kerry who were senior national coaches so it was quite visible to me um but most of the training it did go around the country a bit but they tended to be in Dublin as well a lot of the time and I remember even like now looking back like I was in an even year and I was heading up for weekends to Dublin to just train all weekend basketball and come back down again um, up until maybe April or May or so. And I'd kind of, I was a bit young for my year, so I was the only, and I hadn't done transition years, so I was the only one of that team that was doing leaving certain time. But for me, it was a really good balance because it meant I, like I was pretty strong anyway academically and it gave me that kind of outlet. So, okay, get your homework done during the week um so you can go to camp at the weekend and put your best foot forward to get selected for that and they I found they balanced well um but you know I know it might be difficult maybe for other people but yeah I definitely think it nearly helped my academic side because it meant I kind of took a step away and instead of procrastinating around books and studying exams it was a case of right need to get this done because I need to get out and get so many shots up before it gets dark as well and then I need to make sure I'm free at the weekends kind of a thing. Um, so yeah, definitely it was good exposure and like even beyond that, um, like there wouldn't have been a lot of money in basketball Ireland. I'm sure you're kind of well aware of that as well, Alan, and they've had their difficulties in recent years and hopefully starting to come out of that now as well. Um, and even once I got past under 20 stage, senior women's was not a team anymore because they just couldn't fund to have the senior men, or men's or women's training or playing um and even when we went around the country like you were staying in players' houses as opposed to, you know, you weren't staying in hotels or anything like that. You always fundraising was part of going away to Europeans, but it's what we knew, so I kind of didn't really know any different. But I like what I liked about basketball then, maybe relative to something like GA is that your male and female are treated pretty much the exact same and if you're in a cup final, whether it be schools cup final or club, like the male and female could be on one after the other and there was no real, or well, the men's at this time, the women's at the other or all the women's are on this weekend and all the men's are on this date. They were treated very equally and they still are and I kind of grew up then with that as well. So it became a bit of a norm and um, that's certainly maybe not what is uh, what we experience as much then in um, the GA or, or rugby side of things.
0: Yeah, and I suppose I'll definitely come like circle back to to that point you're you're raising a little later i suppose sticking with like the basketball for now in terms of i just saw so i'm picking up on that right like you're saying like at one point like a basketball ireland couldn't fund like the senior and like under 20 international squads. so ultimately are you a player who's come through a pathway and trained and trying to accept like excel at a game to reach kind of the highest level in ireland and then not have the opportunity to play or compete at that level is that what happened to you
1: uh, yeah, so uh, they, we did have under 20 squads and then I think it was probably about 21 or so when um, I can't say for exactly how many years, but they just stopped funding almost for a good few number of years, the senior squads, because of um, just financial difficulties that they that they ran into. And then obviously that, that's been pretty detrimental for the game because obviously as a pathway then, you know, like they're, they're back up and running now in the last few years. But... Um, you can imagine like you want to put on a a senior green singlet and there isn't even teams being put out, then you can imagine that's that. And I suppose that was another reason why your eyes get turned then maybe a little bit to other sports when that kind of opportunities arise. But basketball itself, it's a great sport. Like it's a lot of people think it's non-contact, which wrecks my head because it's not, it's just, it's very defined contact and some of the most aggressive people I know play basketball. Um, and you need know, a cum shield and basketball before I wore it in other sports um, but it is it's, it's more a disciplined type of contact but um, I just think it's so good for your hand-eye coordination and you can't be as dominant on one side as you can get away with in other team sports you have to be able to um, use your body really well in a tight space and things like peripheral vision um, that you develop I just think it's a, it's a really good sport foundation sport to help with other field sports
0: yeah and before I kind of transition to those other sports Louise that you have excelled in and played in like but like when you look back on that window like is is there a sense of like regret or disappointment there that you didn't get an opportunity to kind of compete at that level and to really experience that fully as like a as a younger sports person
1: Um I don't like I was never going to be the next WMA star and I, sure. I don't want to give like Uh, I don't want to give out false pretenses either Um, I suppose that you could say there is a little bit yeah but at the same time I I was kind of getting very distracted with football at the time as well Um, because as I say it was the club had started up at home got called would carry so let's say the international season be run in the summer what I would generally do for the years that I was trying to play let's say Super League basketball which would run from maybe September to end of March um, and then football, which would be National League this time of the year, so starting back training maybe before Christmas and up until late in the year, hopefully, you're hoping, like then come summer, basically, it's serious time for football, it's championships, so you're overlapping basketball, National League basketball and intercounty football for early in the year and there's a bit of leeway because it's league but there wouldn't have been as much. So I don't think I would have been able to do international level basketball and intercounty football anyway. Um, and plus that technically, again, it's such a jump up at senior level. You'd have to work so hard. I'm not sure I would have foregone intercounty senior football come championship time to try and make a team that I was kind of on very much on the periphery of anyway. So I, I you know, I don't want to lie, <laughs> um, but again, if it's visible and if it's in front of you and the team is doing well, that could change as well. So what, whereas what I could see was that this kind of love of football I wanted to get back playing and be a senior and county footballer and play for Kerry was very tangible all of a sudden again and something I really wanted to push for.
0: Yeah, and what was it like then, as you said, like going back to where we began the conversation was like outside on the farm, if it wasn't a football, it was a basketball, or so for football then to re enter your life, you're in your twenties kinda of at this point your early twenties at this point, right? And then to kinda of, so the club the club sets up, you go back in with the club first of all, then Kerry comes next. And then I know I think in twenty twelve it was you get to an all iron final, albeit it it's on the losing side, but to get to experience that I suppose, that occasion, but then also the whole journey that goes with getting to an All-Ireland Final as well. What was it like for to experience football in that way again?
1: Um, Yeah, it was class. Like, to be honest, when I first went back, and this is probably something that (laughs) permeates my story as we go on anyway, is there was a bit of imposter syndrome because I suppose you do think, oh, this girl has played Kerry all the way up. And again, you just feel, am I just a bit of a basketballer kind of parachuted in? Um, and like you know certainly areas of my skills I needed to work on continuously whereas I probably had the conditioning and the physicality and the um, a lot of the transferable skills I was able to bring across from basketball and the fact that I had been playing at such a high level meant like conditioning and that side of things wasn't as much of an issue but certainly there was an element of imposter syndrome initially and you're just you're kind of hoping you don't make a fool you know at the beginning it's don't make a fool yourself at training then it's okay push to get on the panel push to get on the team and then there was probably a kind of a languishing stage where you're looking over your shoulder just to not get dropped whereas at that stage you should be pushing to be a main player and just be your be your best self for the team instead of again a fear of not being good enough so it probably took a while to embed into that um and then I guess the the negative side of or the the timing that we had was that it coincided with Cork being in Munster with us and being just such the dominant force that they were for that whole kind of period, um. So even if the odd time we might catch them in Munster, they invariably caught us in an all Ireland semi final or if we got that far or the final in twenty twelve. Um. So like that, that was funny. Not a funny day, but it was kind of. <laughs> best and worst football day of my life and that it was incredible to think we were running out in Crow Park for all Ireland final day it was just surreal and it was such a proud moment but again I think for the majority of the team we just completely played the occasion and not the game and um, had a poor performance and even though look Cork were always going to be a very difficult force to get over that day we certainly didn't put our best foot forward either um and so that was a real kind of disappointed. It ended up being a pretty one sided affair by the by the end of it. Um, but you know you you just pick yourself up and you come back again. And you're I remember we played Cork in the All final the following year down in Mallow or Moren Abbey. It was an unreal day and um we actually won by a point. We're delighted and then like they catch us in the All Ireland to be final again. So. There is, you know, that kind of tended to be the trend. If if we did catch them at all, it was in Munster and not not in the All Ireland stage, um, and that's why they're the team that they became. And was it nine and ten years? Is it that they? They won in the end like an incredible
0: yes. record. Yes, I had 10 out of 11, was in my head. I'm not sure was 100% a 10 11, sure. it could
1: be, yeah. 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 I, uh, I
0: tried was, to was, stop counting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, because they, they obviously they were a real juggernaut of of that generation and for the, for a decade or so. Um, I suppose, like, well, that's going on. So, Kerry football is obviously trying to compete against that at, like a, at an inter county level and really coming up against, and not just Kerry, a lot of the other teams as well in terms of yourself in terms of that journey you mentioned like imposter syndrome there twice and I'm sure it's going to re- resurface later when we start talking about rugby as well but like could I ch- like, could I ask you to kind of break that down a little a f- little bit more for me for anyone that's listening that's not familiar with that term or kind of not fully sure of what you're getting at like what do you, like what did you mean by that and kind of how did that manifest or how did that kind of present itself to you internally
1: um and I suppose if in terms of imagery or visual, there's all if you Google it, it's nearly like the, the fish with the fin and the fin is sticking out of the water to make pretend like it's a shark, but actually it's just a little fish underneath the surface. Um so I suppose yeah, it's um maybe it's it's a common feeling anytime or can be a feeling that people feel when they step out of their comfort zone or, you know, it could be a job promotion or moving up an age grade within a team or being selected on at a higher level and you're just not sure if you have the credentials to back it up so you just feel like you're um you're kind of there but someone's going to find you out soon enough and you're going to you're going to skate back down to where you came from so um yeah there's probably an element of, of kind of lack of confidence or just not sure of your own ability but I think for everyone the thing is we don't know what our ability is we don't know what our potential is and a lot of it is limitless and it's dependent on a whole host of other factors and I think like one of the things is that I've always been very competitive but I learned it's it's important to be competitive with yourself and that's just to get the best out of yourself as opposed to competitive against an individual like there's people that I played against or trained with their teammates and I will never be faster than them because they are incredible. And that's okay, but am I the fastest that I can be myself or am I the most agile or physically prepared or mentally prepared or have I worked on my skills? Have I worked at a high enough intensity that I can make these decisions under pressure in the heat of the moment? Um that's where that kind of competitiveness comes from. Or that that's where then like you kind of maybe dampen down some of those feelings of like an imposter syndrome because you're just have to realize you've been selected or picked for a certain reason and um you have put in the hard work and you have you're there on merit
0: yeah and do you think it's tied like tied in some way like as to what we said earlier that like when you're coming from something that you are good at or successful at that there's then like that both internal and external pressure that you're going to seamlessly be good at something else because like people have a higher expectation of you from other things if you get me
1: yeah and i there it could be that but also i think it's um you used to have a little bit of fear of being selfish that you'd have some people that are like look you're good at that just stop being trying to be good at everything like that it's it's not being fair it's 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 being selfish like and i think it's something it's more it's obviously more prevalent in female sport that players transfer across because there's just less of a player in pool And so many sports are still relatively in their infancy that um, that kind of specialization hasn't happened yet because they're just getting to the stage where it's getting harder and harder to be good at more than one or two things. Um, So it's it's just easier to transfer across than in men's sport. But there was probably a little bit as well of, yeah, not wanting to almost seem too greedy that you're, you know, that kid in school who puts her hand up for every question kind of a thing.
0: I suppose to that point exactly then rugby presents itself into your life and an opportunity comes to transfer to another sport. Um how did that opportunity come about um and, and what when was that in your life?
1: Um yeah, so I was living and working in Limerick, I was working in the hospital um there and I would commute down to play football in Kerry and I was playing basketball in Limerick where my club team, Ewell you know, Huskies, were Um, and then just for a bit of added crack playing a lot of tag rugby which was kind of taken off um, in the summers as well Um, and again a bit of timing like the Irish women's rugby team had started to do really well Um, they'd won the Grand Slam in 2013 they'd beaten the All Blacks in 2014 so it was all around kind of this stage and um, yeah again there was a bit of oh sure I mightn't be that good at that but basically ended up losing a bet and going down to my local rugby club in UL Bowes and uh, joining in, <laughs> yeah, uh, another story, and joining in um, a training session there. But then it was a headache of how am I going to combine like three sports? But I suppose in the background as well, um, rugby sevens had, I suppose, was in its infancy here in Ireland. And as well as looking at rugby fairs, they're looking at a lot of talent ID, I suppose, identification through different sports. And I'd gotten one or two kind of phone calls about, even just from looking at basketball and football, would I be interested in playing? And at the time, there was just no space or whatever within the calendar. Um, So I kind of was like, okay, it piqued my interest a bit, but kind of just left it there um, and that I was living down in Limerick and commuting down to Kerry. So basically started playing club rugby and um, ended up getting called into like an extended Irish rugby squad for the following six nations after I think like five games of AIL. And, Again, it was kind of lucky. Football was over for the year, so it was just trying to juggle rugby and basketball. And um, from there, anyway, d- didn't make the Six Nations Sure, I had, didn't know my arse from my elbow. Um, was just kind of more of a fan and could catch a ball and run and sidestep and didn't mind the contact. So it was, there was a bit of raw potential there, but that's all, you could, that's all that was there, really. Um, and kind of got pulled across then that look would you give sevens a go because it's a bit less technical but your kind of aerobic ability and kind of general makeup yeah would probably suit it a bit better um and at this stage there was a bit of um like i said this was no we'd won a lot with our basketball club like we'd won national leagues and cups and there was no i was out of age grade and there was no senior international squads um so it it was kind of easier to step away from basketball because there was not much more else to do at the time um, within it and then football was definitely much harder to step away from because like that we'd had all Ireland finals losses you feel like you didn't perform to your best that there's more within the team and the squad unfinished business Um, absolutely yeah but then this was like I was probably getting a bit more confident and realising god this is an opportunity to really maximise my potential as an athlete and um, basically, was uh, the end goal is you have to. I was allowed to come up for a few weekends and do weekend camps, and I was still trying to play football as well. But it ended up in like being offered a contract. So was, they were kind of these um, stipends, like semi-professional contracts. It was pretty crap money at the beginning. It's still not brilliant now, but it's a bit better. And um, you get to train. It's more the access of training full time, full time S and Cs. Um. You're just trying to, yeah, make yourself the best athlete you can be. And then the fact that sevens was now an Olympic sport, it was like this dream that I never had before. Like, whoa, like plenty of people in Kerry have all around medals or, you know, all around basketball medals. But like there aren't that many Olympians down there. Um, So even just that was kind of a carrot that was dangling in front as well. And so I think it was May 2015. I took a career break and moved up and said, like, look, give it a year. No regrets if it doesn't go to plan, then at least I know Um, I ended up playing until pretty much COVID kind of ended my career in um, just twenty twenty. There, I suppose I would have retired and moved back down to Kerry. Then,
0: like, did you have any mixed? Was obviously like taking a career break or even a job to really to back yourself to go and give this um to give it a lash? And there's obviously such a carrot there in terms of Olympic possibilities. Was there any inner conflict with that decision? Was it a hard decision? Or, or was it something that you felt, you know, this is just an opportunity that's presenting itself and kind of, you have to back yourself to, to try it?
1: Um, well, this was the, the pros are the, it was like a, an itch to scratch. And the thing is like, you can't come back in 10 years and do it like you're either, you know, i in My mid to, like, I think it was 26 at the time anyway. So it was kind of a case of do it now or don't do it. Um, and then the hardest thing to leave was definitely actually football because I kind of knew I had my degree and my qualification I had about five years full-time work so I could always come back to that and at the time I had a career break as well so I could come back in the following year um so that they actually weren't the hardest it was more um stepping away from from football was probably the hardest thing to to do but no the other sides of it were nearly kind of um a little bit exciting and as I say, things kind of snowballed. I suppose the long and short of it is didn't qualify for the Olympics in Rio, but we were kind of always up against it. We were chasing our tail a little bit there, um, but Tokyo would have been a big goal or target. And when that didn't happen, that was like as a huge disappointment. It's probably losing badly in 2012 and not qualifying for Tokyo in 2020 um, are definitely kind of my two worst sporting experiences. And at the same time, I'm not going to call them regrets because, um, you know, at the you know you, you put everything into it and it doesn't work out. And at the same time, um, the experience alone is kind of suppose, made me a bit of who I am today. So
0: the the opportunity to come to, for the sevens comes around, as you said. There's an opportunity where you have to back yourself. I know you said there's a contract there. From the sounds of things, it wasn't like a. a, a a sustainable lifestyle or like a full-time thing that you could i'm sure you were working outside of that right and but you're getting access to the facility so there's kind of a phase of your life where i'm sure that suits where you can kind of balance that um so to back to double down to back yourself to then make it through to to the squads and you get to go to the world series and sevens and reach a semi-final and then you also play with the 15s then at one point in the world cup too right
1: uh, yeah, so again, there's, I suppose it's been well documented, there's a bit of kind of extrapolating across from 7s, 15s at different times over the years, even though we're predominantly training and um, playing as as 7s players. Um, but, um, yeah, so I end up playing, uh, I think we have a 7s World Cup in 2018, 15s World Cup in 2017, and you're generally playing the World Series at 7s annually as well. Um, yeah, so it's, it's pretty full on, like it's pretty busy and all that time because they're contracted and not playing even club football, which is obviously disappointing. But again, I'm kind of one of those people who make a decision, you go with it and you make sure you do it well enough that you don't regret what you're missing out on, basically.
0: And then what was it like to, I suppose, to play on those those stages? Like I said, I think the, the 2017 World Cup was in Ireland, right?
1: Yeah, um, kind of two contrasting World Cups, I suppose. Like twenty eighteen, with the um, with sevens went pretty well. Like we ended up coming sixth, which probably could have done a little bit better. But to be honest, we came in ranked at like ninth, so um, it was pretty good experience overall. It was over in San Francisco, big Irish sport, loads of family friends and that over there, um, and then and it's on because sevens again. It's just on over a week, week and a half. I think that we're in San Fran. Was in the twenty seventeen World Cup on um, in Ireland, big big build up, um, and I think in the end, like I suppose it was a well run World Cup in terms of logistically, it was on between City and Belfast. But in terms of the squad itself, now again, it's a sense where we were parachuted in quite late, but. Um, it, there just ended up being, I suppose, a lot of maybe it ended up being a lot of a, a missed opportunity for rugby in the country. And um, it was on over, God, I suppose, about five or six weeks. And again, when things aren't going well and you're holed up in a hotel room and the team isn't performing and selections seem mad and it was just a bit of a crazy environment, to be honest. Um And it was it was really unfortunate because I'd be someone who generally have a good perspective and um, even when. You know, I remember week three or four saying to a few kind of friends that are on the squad, like that were suffering, like, look, we're still at a World Cup and you're representing your country and you just got to enjoy it. But like even by the last week, the words were ringing a bit hollow for myself, like, and I was kind of looking forward to it being being over. And, and I mean, I mean, the, the knock on effect from that is um, I think we finished eighth and top seven automatically qualified for the World Cup in New Zealand. That leads to us having to go to qualification and as is much publicised, um that didn't happen this year. So we're not even going to the next World Cup. So it's it's been a real downward spiral for women's rugby in the country. But again, uh, I think, you know, that's a whole other conversation and a couple of podcasts <laughs> to go into that side of things.
0: Yeah, and it, like, I suppose without going like into specifics and, and digging down, just like when you, when you reflect on that time, to have played on in a World Cup for your country on home soil, what should be obviously a joyous thing and like a very um like memorable thing. Um, what's it like kind of having it tarnished if there like things weren't going well or that there was issues there? Like what's your kind of reflections on that time? in the, like from your perspective?
1: Yeah, and again, there's probably a bit of perspective where there was girls in that squad who they've been playing fifteens a long time. Um, they'd sacrificed a lot. They had been in France, some of them, um, a few years previously where they'd gotten to semi-final and it was unprecedented and it was brilliant. And for them, I, I nearly felt more sorry for them because it's a bit like it was their dream for so long that seeing the devastation for them made it a bit more relative for me that from what, like, not reaching the Olympics was probably a bigger missed opportunity for me. Um, so there was a bit of a perspective there that Jesus this is crap but I actually feel worse for this cohort of players who've put everything in and that we're going a lot of them were like, looking at retiring after that home World Cup and it was just such a huge disappointment them the way it all panned out and you know what should have been even better because it was at home was even worse because you were nearly hoping to have hide away from it but um, I think it, looking back as well it was it, it was the regret um of a missed opportunity for you know what could have been a massive growth of the game and of women's sport in Ireland ended up being just completely missed and i think there was a lot of um coaching and administrative errors that contributed to that i think as i say the the production of the tournament itself was actually top class but the the preparation side of it in terms of the squad and the team and um the coaching side of it was a real just a real letdown to be honest. And it was and it was it, it you could I'm sure if they are if you turn around they'll say, But we invested this much in the squad um in twenty seventeen versus twenty fourteen. But the thing is, it's not just about money, it's and professionalism. Having like played to high level in professional and non-professional sports, being paid for it, not paid for it. What I've learned is professionalism isn't about isn't just about money, it's a lot about the processes, the pro- application, the, the vision, the culture, and you can't buy that in a lot of cases.
0: And think like, that's what, like, I suppose, it ties into kind of what's going on like what, I think it was just last week, the IRFU had the report regarding that stuff, um, and obviously a number of players took a stand and tried to create meaningful change. But I suppose what you're saying there is it's not just a case of well we're committing. And I think in that report I saw it was an extra million a year or whatever. Um, but you're saying it's it's all, the money for sure is part of it, but that there's a bigger picture that it has to go hand in hand. Is that kind of what you're alluding to?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think like <laughs> again a lot of people are just want to look forward now rather than look back when it comes. To, to women's rugby but that certainly did draw a line the sa- sand and it was quite a bold move in the way it was went about but I think it was a uh, potentially a necessary how do you one mean? Um, in terms of like writing to the Minister of Sport and involving Irish Sport um, and how it was done but I hope people kind of can see that you know this it's not about just um, I suppose players do want to take responsibility for results for their own performances but there is um, some issues that how would you say it like um, if you just don't feel you have the backing the respect or the communication with your own governing body well then you're not really going very far um, and that it's not again just about publishing key performance indicators and Saying this much money has been invested, this much money will be invested, it, it goes a lot deeper than that, so I, I think now going forward, this will be taken on board a lot more.
0: yeah, and I know like you serve on the the board of rugby players Ireland as well, right so have you were you part of that change process were you part of discussions around trying to create um taking this stand and trying to create change?
1: Um, so with my role at Rugby Ireland, it was as a player representative for the seven squad. Um, and at the time, it's, um, I suppose the biggest thing that we were involved in was when COVID hit and um, the players were being, their um, wages were either being, um, how do I say, God, the, the, this is the baby brain now <laughs> hitting me, uh, they were getting a, Delay in terms of being paid and a cut on top yes. of it, or you know, paid deferrals. Time, pay deferrals. There we go. Thanks a million. Uh, pay deferrals and pay cuts. So again, for my own personal squad, because we were under the threshold that was being deferred slash cut, it didn't directly involve our squad, but obviously we were still involved as a member of the board and how the um the main, which would have been the male playing body were affected by this so there that would have been the main kind of a role but even at the time looking at things were I was trying to help introduce with things like pregnancy policy around you know contracted players which again only at the moment applies to sevens players which tend to be a younger age group but still my opinion is that this doesn't isn't something that should be a knee-jerk reaction and waiting for it to happen and it's something that probably could have protected the RFU in the long run but um, when I retired which happened kind of due to COVID you step away from the board then so you have to be an active, um, an active, active player. player member yeah
0: and then like so taking kind of we talked about the rugby experience there um, we talked about basketball earlier on in terms of there been funding issues and then if I'm tying that to the current stuff that's going on the GAA at the moment in terms of integration of associations and kind of striving for Better ultimately, and you alluded to earlier, basketball might have been like might have been poor all around, but they treated men and women equally. So, I suppose when you see this, what's going on in the GA recently in terms of that integration, like does that give you more hope for the future? Does that highlight or bring up more frustrations of the past? Kind of what's your feelings around that and what's your what's your thoughts on it?
1: Um, well, I think it first of all, it's, it's enthusiasm the fact that the conversation's being raised at all and that. I would be pro um, the whole integration because it just you know I, I came back um, when I retired from rugby and moved back home and started back playing club football. I ended up coming back in with Kerry, <laughs> excuse me, last year, um, and only for um, about to give birth in the next few weeks. I would have been <laughs> hoped to be involved again this year, um, and from of what I could see is the like the incredible jump in standards again since I last played, which would have been in. I think I ended up playing in 2015, I think was my last inter-county games up until in 2021. Um, there's a huge jump in the strength conditioning and the fitness and the tactics um, and in the standards in general. And, and, and that's across the board and that's been driven by the likes of the Corks, the Dublins in particular, and now Meath as well. Um, but it's in all counties, like all counties are improving all the time. But what, like, and in terms of, the LJFA have done a great job. There's some great sponsorship models there. The likes a Little. Um, but I suppose there's almost, my fear is that the the growth and the standards of the game have, are starting to outgrow the association that serves it. And the, even things like the rules. Like, I mean, girls are big, they're strong, they're athletic, they're fit. And again, you could go and have one ref who just plays it that way. And even other ref who thinks it's a non-contact sport, and that's so frustrating, and he could say, "Well, I'm sticking to the rule book, but again, even that sort of things like I think the game itself um is starting to evolve and evolve almost grow beyond what maybe the lGFA can provide on its own um in terms of like we still run into issues around pitches, and again, you can turn around and say, we don't own any pitches, the GA own them and everything is, is a bit of a going with your cap in hand but like we're getting beyond that stage and we can't always just assume that we're going to be given some. like we all know the different examples over the years of um, the high profile issues but um, I think the only way is integration I know there's always a risk with that because then you know you become a small fish in a very big pond and there's still a lot of I'm sure anoraks and um, suits in the GA headquarters that maybe publicly would, would would say that yeah this is a great thing but maybe privately not so much and the same in, in clubs up and down the country because again they're probably already struggling at keeping a pitch in good shape with just the amount of underage male and senior teams they have and now if they have to start showing more equality towards female teams teams but I think this is again the way forward and it's just something that I think people genuinely are seeing as the right option. But it's a case of just getting it over the line now in the in the, the kind of in the most positive way possible, but that it's 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 always going to be something that um it's not just gonna happen overnight, we're not gonna click our fingers, there's gonna be teething issues, there's gonna be barriers. Um, but if we're all kind of working together towards a common vision or goal, that's the most um, likely way that we're going to get
0: there. Before I kind of pivot to kind of life off the field now and the new arrival that you're expecting. Um, just in terms of like you're someone who international basketball the you play intercounty with Kerry, rugby takes over. What kind of motivated you to come back around to intercounty football and to reengage with that setup? I know I think I mentioned unfinished business earlier, but what was the kind of driver of you to reenter that fold and how was that experience for you? because obviously you do it during COVID times as well, right?
1: Yeah, I suppose, um first of all, I have to be uh, very grateful and thankful to my club, Fenwick St. Inlands, and like even a few um, months ago, my down in like our local pub, McCarthy's, and Fenerik, they'd kind of set a random, I don't know, celebration night where they were just, it was back in October and they were like, just for everything you've done. And I always feel bad because um I always feel like I went to college, lived in Limerick, then moved to Dublin and wasn't home that often. And like, I'm not that club person who's um, out training the under 10s, the under 12s. I'm not on committees. I'm always proudly representing my area and my county and that will never change. But it's more kind of, I'm not, I always feel like I'm not on the ground, like they're doing the tidy towns or cutting the grass or whatever it is, lining the pitches and Those volunteers, they're the cornerstones of our club and it's the people who um, have kept our ladies club going as well as our men's club over the years that have afforded me the opportunity that I literally stepped back in for a county intermediate final that went well and we won just once I retired from Sevens and I was still living in Dublin and trying to come back down and um, again, the girls could have been like, no, you can't just come back for a final and that would have been completely appropriate as well um but that kind of I suppose put me on the the map maybe for um for the county managers as well that to be seen in kind of a, a high profile game and basically come December they just invited me back in with the squad um I guess that and yeah it was kind of a funny one because you know i married I dragged my husband up to Dublin for a few years we came back down we we're looking at settling down buying a house that sort of thing and all of a sudden I'm like I still want to play inter-county football which is obviously a huge commitment but you know there really was no no hassle from that side of things um and yeah the big challenge then and and I suppose disappointment was that because of Covid we didn't get on the field community till April which meant you know you're just doing gym and runs on your own which is absolutely fine I had been used to doing that um but I, it's probably what I didn't need. I was fit enough. I was strong enough. I needed to get on the ball. and I needed to meet the team. Um, and that just, I often think near, as the season was coming to an end, it would have been nicer to have had a few more months kind of on field or like this year where you're actually having a proper pre-season together. But um, unfortunately, other things kind of got in the way of that.
0: Yeah. Um, no, no, I I totally hear you on that's on all that stuff. It must have been such a strange time to try and transition back again. But I suppose like what was the there's loads of reasons there that you can say actually this is not working now or just not what I thought it was going to be, but what was driving you to try and make that transition again, to try and loop back? What in, internally, what's kinda of motivating you to not worry about moving back to carrier, putting the feet up and relaxing with your husband or settling into a new phase of life? What kind of drove you to to re engage with A different type of elite sport
1: um again like it was the hardest thing to leave was probably football so um as soon as I got back playing like I was kind of lucky so my husband plays um my husband plays still plays football down here so through lockdown we were living in Lucan and Dublin and I was still planning on going back to sevens for a long time so I was still the GPS unit doing all these training sessions and we brought out the football and the rugby ball all the time so inadvertently he was probably you know to keep ourselves both fit and keep both our skill levels up so he was probably half preparing me for it anyway without we probably just didn't even really realize so like I'm never someone who will ever really stop training or um trying to be fit and strong anyway so that that was there and then once the club were going well and I got back in um like it was an incredible buzz and it's just like a drug like you know there's a lot of talk sometimes with um with the, about like women's sport and things like attendances and I always think like attendances are, are, are great and they're important you know having a having that visibility is key for you know your younger girls looking up and seeing that pathway and saying yeah I want to do that but it's not the motivator to actually pick up the ball in the first place or that's not the sort of motivation that'll drive you to the top that'll make you work in your skills your fitness when it's and rain outside and it's just a manky day um it's just the pure enjoyment and i still got the same enjoyment out of playing as i did when i was kicking the ball off gave it into the house at home when i was younger so that's the, that was still there and it was a hundred percent there and actually it was like an itch that i'd avoided scratching for an awful long time because i was playing something else and all of a sudden it was like oh my god yeah no i definitely want to do this and again that fear of Okay, you're coming back. You're in your thirties now. Um, there could be people who are like, "Oh, one thinks she's great now, so I'm back in." Um, or like, I knew the game even from watching from afar had developed. Like, I'd always been a, a starting player. Was I going to be that player? And I kind of made a decision myself that even if I wasn't good enough or fit enough, fast enough, or whatever it was anymore, that I knew from what I had ex- been exposed to in my life so far that I contribute in some way on or off the field and that contribution might only be to be um you know on the the B team trying to push the A team and if that's what it is then that's what it is and I have to be willing to accept that and just keep pushing myself and um yeah at the beginning definitely it was tough trying to get back in but thankfully it kind of hit the groove and like it was a disappointing year we um we ended up beating, being one of the few teams, I think ourselves in Cork were the only teams to beat Mead last year away in the first round of the league. And I remember thinking, geez, these are good. <laughs> right. Little did I know. And I was like, the system they had, it was tough to break down. And then we played them in the league. final. We didn't. That was the first round and it was away in Port Alton and uh, in Navan, And then we played them in the league final cup park. And it was like, they just were whirlwind. Um, and then I think we just got to our... All-Ireland Championship qualifiers and just even playing Division 2 football outside of those meet games kind of we were just a bit slower getting up to kind of the that Division 1 pace and lost narrowly like a point to go we lost narrowly to Donegal and that's it your season's over Um, because ladies football is so competitive now even though you have your top two or three there really isn't much of a gap down much like men's as well at the moment especially like you're looking at Division 1 and teams taking points off each other Um. So it was as much as it was disappointment and that, you know, wasn't any fairy tale ending to the season, there was it was a really enjoyable year and I absolutely had no regrets um going back and I hope I even if we didn't win anything, I hope any um that I contributed positively for you know, even that there's so many younger players in Kerry and we had a massive panel, um and I hope I can I have left kind of a positive contribution um even if it was potentially the last one on the field.
0: Brilliant. And I suppose life off the field now is kind of alluded to earlier. You've just started you've just started your maternity leave. How are you feeling at the moment? What stage of that are you at? And how has that experience been for you?
1: Um yeah, luckily enough it's been a pretty uneventful maternity or pregnancy I should say. So um still pretty mobile and that sort of thing. So I'll thank you know whoever God for that. Um Yeah, it is. I suppose it is a bit of a strange one because it's it's actually been... I remember during COVID, it was the longest time I had without playing a game because there was obviously no matches on and it felt very strange. And training in isolation for so long, I remember coming up with a newfound respect for individual athletes because I realised being part of a team has just been such a part of my life from childhood up till now. Um, and I do like, I was even saying to my husband, I don't know, nearly feeling a bit resentful of him I'm still going off club training and he's involved with um, the county yard as well as physio. I'm like, God, this is the first time in my life I'm not actively part of a team. Like I'm still in the club, WhatsApp or whatever for football. But,
0: yeah. But you know, but not feel in, in like a bubble.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And you're kind of like, oh yeah, I'll see you in a few months. And it's, it's very strange and it's, it's been a bit of a difficult transition. Um, and I think like it's, you know, one way it's obviously marvelous, and I'm feeling eternally grateful to think in, in a few weeks to have, um, was starting our family and have a little baby, and that's like that's very exciting. But when you spend your whole life as an athlete, it's a bit of a strange, um, I suppose thought that like I can't even run right now. <laughs> um, I literally walk the dog. Uh, so, um, but again, there's you know there's more and more research coming out about how you. You don't have to give up just as soon as you start having babies. And there's lots of role models out there for that as well. So um, I certainly hope I'll be back on the field or a court or something soon. Um, just, uh, yeah. And, and again, if it is, whether it's a girl or a boy, um, we don't really know. I think it's important to even be that kind of mom that's like, well, just because, you know, it, my sporting life didn't have to end just because you have a, a kid, if you have the right kind of support network and everything goes to plan, you can get back out and, and train and play and that that can be, that should be a norm if it's what you want rather than an exception.
0: And in, in terms of being like an expectant mom, like you're, as you, we've talked the whole conversation so far, has been a jumping from one sport to the other and different camps and training. So I'm sure a huge part of your lifestyle is go, go, go and working out Um and then also from a well-being point of view i'm sure that ties in where it's an outlet or somewhere you can go to blow off steam so like obviously during a pregnancy your body and lots of different things are happening that aren't nor would normally happen anyway so has that been like has it been challenging to be going through that but then not have kind of the outlets you've been so used to or the exercise not being able to do that to the same degree or level has that challenged you
1: yeah, and I would have found that as well when I had injuries that were any kind of medium long-term ones. As in, I never thankfully had, a, like a broken ankle was probably the worst or kind of knee injuries. And I remember thinking, God, I actually rely on exercise to for kind of that mental health side of things. And right now, I can't even run or cycle or something. But um, what I did find is, what like what I like to do is just make sure I'm always being pushed outside of some sort of a comfort zone so um, I'm a pretty crap swimmer um, might as well say I just can't swim I like to think I can swim a little <laughs> bit and we live right by the sea now so I took up swimming lessons for most of my pregnancy I still Amazing. can't swim very well but at least once a week I was going to somewhere where I was getting my heart rate up physically and also just from a, I felt like I was trying to push myself somewhere um, and as well like I suppose again through the different um. People that I've met and opportunities I've gotten, I've done different media things and I've continued some of them just again to keep pushing me outside of my comfort zone and, um, you know, keep my fingers, I suppose, in those pies as well just to um, just so that when you come out the other side, there's still options and opportunities there available that it doesn't just all have to end. And again, Emotionally, who knows what'll happen? Maybe I'll just want to go into a bubble, and you know, there's nothing wrong. I'm not trying to say if you're a mother, you have to do lots of other things. But I suppose, as you say, I've always been someone who's spun a lot of plates and always been go go go. So I want to make sure if I want to still do that, that I that I still can. So, um, it's been more about trying to keep me mentally stimulated, um, in different ways, and and even like you know, with the GPA I enrolled in the Jim Madden program, um. And that's, again, something I'm looking forward to kind of keep me going through my maternity leave as well, just as something to make sure I'm constantly thinking of what the next step is going to be and making sure I'm positioning myself well to be able to take any opportunities that do develop.
0: No, it's, it's super. I thought of it as you were talking there earlier around, like, I suppose, there's so much work going on in terms of trying to drive equality and get similar access or, um, similar standards. But I suppose I think it's also important to acknowledge that like female athletes do face like different challenges as well or unique challenges. Like I know I saw there was a Chelsea footballer I think the other day. I don't know if you saw it that she kind of been missing from the team for a week or two and people were kind of like, where is she gone? and um, then it actually came out that like she was pregnant that she was entering that process. Um, but that and she was going to be returned and then I feel like just kind of news stories like that just normalize what female athletes like that extra um like you talk about from an elite performance point of view that like family planning that there's extra stuff in there that's harder to manage
1: yeah definitely and again like i suppose i and it's even in planning like as in i as soon as i decided i want to go back playing Kerry, you're kind of making whether it's subconsciously or not, you're I'm turning around saying to my husband, I basically want to put off having a family for another year, and you have to. That has to be conversation as well. It can't be just um, a singular decision because it's just physiology. He can't do it. It has to be me, um, and actually, as things kind of unfolded, even. Like I ended up finding out I was expecting and the season wasn't over and my first session mis- missing all year was um I was had to just wait and get a GP appointment and see what what where do we go from here um and you're kind of looking at guidelines and different things like that but you obviously look at your healthcare professionals for the ultimate guidance and thankfully they were saying look you can you know in your position because you're have been training at this level you can play up until 12 weeks or so it's it's pretty safe um but then you're not feeling well because you've all these crazy hormones and different things going on in your body so then there's a guilt because I'm like okay it's safe to play in terms of uh, developing fetus or baby but am I able to perform because obviously you're not going announcing it to the world and you have a responsibility to your team your teammates the coaching staff that okay if I just wake up when I'm puking or feeling really lethargic that day they're they they do not know the story like they don't know the background and then you're you know ends up um I suppose playing a few games I didn't know about and then playing one game where I did know and um it really it kind of was a bit of um a real way up of okay there's once I know it's safe to play the next thing is am I it's like coming back from any injury am I able to perform and is someone else um who's maybe a sub better at 100 percent than me at potentially 90 85 percent whatever this has taken out of me and no one can really tell you and um you just have to try and make sure you're being as honest as possible for the, the team as well um when you're kind of trying to weigh it all up so that was a kind of a strange um decision from that point of view but um yeah look it's like anything it's just another one that you make and you make it under the best pretenses and you learn from it and you go on and you move on again
0: As I look to finish up Louise I was just thinking if we started this conversation at the very start growing up with your brothers kind of in the home house on the farm shooting through a rickety hoop I'm sure I'm sure they went through more often than not. Uh, but then, just to go and just to, as you kind of sit here now, like you're you're an expecting man. we're reflecting kind of on your career of international basketball, like your your GA club, the intercounty career you've had, the rugby career, both in in sevens and and in fifteens, getting to play in World Cups, World World Series. Like as we kind of talk through all that and reflect on all that, and you're getting ready to head into a whole new chapter of your life. Naturally, anyway what's your feelings on all we've talked through and kind of your reflections on the conversation we've just had?
1: Um, I suppose I'm, I'm always like eternally grateful because I always think like sport is, it's a mass it's a huge educator in terms of, uh, you know, outside of an academic remit and in terms of kind of how to deal with people, particularly if you work in, in team sports, but, you know, relationships, adversity, resilience, mental health, physical, all those things you get from it, like you won't get from a book or a course. And I always think no matter what you put into it, you get more out of it. And like, again, the long, the lasting relationships and friendships outside of um, outside of even your current friends or teammates, is it's huge, it's massive. So like, looking back, it's eternally gra- grateful for, you know, it's always generally through positive, positive glasses. Like as I say, the winter sevens, the ultimate goal of becoming an Olympian, tried twice and failed essentially but I still wouldn't change the fact that I tried and unfortunately that's the way it is and for everyone who goes to the Olympics then there's only so many that get a medal um and you know don't have an all-Ireland senior medal have basketball medals but like I still feel like it's you don't kind of count your successes in terms of maybe maybe this is from a loser speaking but you don't count your successes in terms of all-Ireland wins or medals I don't think you do anyway. so and I would like to think that's that's kind of how I look back at it that you know there's a lot of success without it being something in a role of honour that you can maybe necessarily list out Um, but again whether it's something that it's kind of hard to let go I don't feel ready to just stop and let go as much as you kind of go into a new chapter like as you know I always before would have been reluctant to say that I was any sort of a role model but I think the different experiences I've had it's hard not to feel like I want to also like give back whether it's um I'm not sure exactly in what guise but like as a with a background in healthcare and physiotherapy as well as the sporting side of things I just think it's so important for young people but especially girls where we see such a dropout rate to try and increase to to utilize anything that increases participation rates because it's so important from a health point of view whether it's both physical and mental health and then the more you get people playing and have those pathways, the more you drive the top eventually anyway, because they filter to the top and there's more there's more numbers. And just in terms of starting with participation and then eventually it will lead to increasing your kind of elite level athletes as well and the numbers and, and the standards of, of things. But um, I think it's important as well that if in any way it can contribute to helping with that, both not just in Kerry, but kind of nationwide, then
0: that'd be awesome lastly for me I just want to I want to thank you again for those insights and and the honesty you've shared and I suppose thank you so much for your time today and as I said genuinely the best of luck with everything going forward
1: cheers Alan thanks a million
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Players Voice podcast brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks we wish Louise and her husband Donica all the best as they await their new arrival. To get all future episodes and access previous ones with Tom Parsons, Chloe and Shayna Mori, and Kate Keeney, make sure to subscribe by searching the Player's Voice on whichever podcast platform you prefer. And don't forget, that you can find out more about the GPA's Bio360 program at bio360.gafplayers.com. My name is Alan Omara, and to find out more about my work as a performance and well-being consultant please go to www.realtalks.e or find me on Twitter and Instagram at AOMTheCat. Thanks for listening.